life stories of trauma, loss, awakenings, and epiphanies, beginning with one mom's journal entries recorded in real time of a catastrophic diving accident, rendering her teenage son paralyzed from the neck down, and the courageous fight to save his life. Told through unedited text and journal entries and inspiring guest interviews, Blink of an Eye will take you on a powerful journey of advocacy and hope, and an unvarnished look at the true nature of our relationships and interconnectedness in the face of an event that changes everything. Life can change in the blink of an eye. Hello, dear ones. Did you know our podcast sponsor, the nonprofit I See That, the Integrative Center for Trauma Healing Advocacy and Transformation, is now the Blink of an Eye nonprofit. And Blink of an Eye is on social media. You can find out more about the Blink of an Eye initiatives and learn more about the Science of Trauma Conference at the inaugural online summit, November 3rd, 2022, 6 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. It's a learning experience you won't want to miss. Two nationally known physicians and brain researchers will present for the first time together on brain mapping trauma in the body and on the interpersonal neurobiological ways we can resolve trauma in our bodies. If you are a parent, a grandparent, a coach, an athlete, a teacher, clergy, mental health professional, lawyer, or law enforcement personnel, or surgeon, doctor, nurse, or physical therapist, you won't want to miss this three-hour event and three hours of continuing education credits, as well as continuing medical education credits. Register now at http colon backslash backslash events dot I see that dot org. You can also follow blink of an eye dot org on Instagram at blink of an eye nonprofit and on Facebook at the URL Facebook dot com backslash www dot blink of an eye dot org. Links to those platforms will be in the show notes. Now, for today's Blink of an Eye story episode. I had arrived back in Atlanta after a 24-hour visit with one overnight in Baltimore. My mind now wandered constantly as I thought about Archer and the new accommodations he will need in life. I was toggling, getting practical, and still remaining hopeful for a miracle. They do happen, right, Lord? Archer and his quadriplegia and his new life, our new life, never left my mind. Seeing other parents at the Shepherd Center made me think about Billy and me. Looking at other younger children in the different wards of the center made me think about how lucky we were to have such healthy, beautiful children 
even though I knew our life was going to be different now. It seemed that my trip home had given me a perspective that all of this was not going away. We just had to go through it and hope we would come out with the best possible outcome for Archer and for all of us. I still clung firmly to a creative miracle and found myself feeling grounded again, connected to my life outside the Shepherd Center and our fuller reality. The trip home allowed me some ability to bring it all in. I realized it was possible to split my time between bedside to Archer and visits back to Baltimore to connect with my other children, especially Dutch, our youngest son. This slew of errands, meetings, and logistics back home all seemed like it fit together because I was experiencing for the first time in my life the love of so many others and how they can take care of things for me and can also help take care of me. It felt new. I was new. I was finding aspects of myself I wasn't aware of before. Aspects that I wondered would make me better. It's good to rely on others and think you don't have to do it all. I was grateful for my personal care team, and I was humbled by the little moments of kindnesses of neighbors, staff, clients, other shopkeepers that interrupted the flurry of tasks and thoughts and concerns constantly whirling like a tornado. I was finding that the constant experience that had had me on edge like a cat on a hot tin roof actually let up momentarily with each kindness like a little reprieve. And it was quite amazing because each sweetness in a conversation or text message actually gave me a physical reprieve. Looking back, I believe that cumulatively, all these little kindnesses were like a medicine I had never been given or never fully ingested before. A medicine that we should provide all moms and dads in hospitals with kids who feel their world is turned upside down. Because these kind interactions are truly healing. The contrast from our life in Baltimore to our life in the hospital was stark. But I found that I could glide between the two almost as if I had two separate identities. I reminded myself I could do it because this is what I had done for years when I began having babies while still working in a large law firm as a corporate litigator. I was mama nursing her babies from 9 p.m. to 7 a.m. 
and Ms. Courtroom Advocate, 7 a.m. to 9 p.m. for a number of years. But I also had a mental health awakening to see the toll that was taking on my life on one particular Saturday morning in 1993. My sister Elizabeth had come to visit, and we were all in our row home in the basement rec room. I was nursing my young baby Pete, and Billy told my sister, Louise is miserable, but she doesn't know it. I burst into tears as he was right. I was living a bifurcated, separated life, where carrying my breast pump was on the down low, and I had to sneak into the women's bathroom and sequester myself in a stall with an extension cord just to pump milk every day, and then walk into a large, glossy conference room with the stenographer and opposing legal counsel and his client to take a deposition. It was that moment when I made a decision to live a more integrated life. I left the firm to begin my own firm, Baltimore Mediation. That seemed so long ago. But the feeling as I arrived back at Shepherd, after stealing away for a mere 24 hours to see our youngest son and to take care of myself, reminded me of that stark reality back then. I knew it was doable, just not for too much longer. I think it is like this for many families in long-term hospital situations that are still intense and require close monitoring. I mean, heck, who at long-term hospital stay does not still require close monitoring? I applaud all the families who have given so much to their loved ones, and especially their children, to be bedside. It's critical to their well-being because we know in the trauma healing world how necessary it is to calm the central nervous system for healing. And having a loved one bedside, in presence, and in touch, physical touch, is critical. Stroking your child's arm or face, or gently massaging his or her legs or feet, or washing them tenderly. Anything loving and soothing that restores cellular human connection. There are so many forms of therapy for trauma healing, aside from the first one that may jump into your mind, talk therapy. But therapy can really be any modality that soothes your mind and body, calming your central nervous system, which allows for integration and might also give you some insights. Integration allows you to feel your soul dancing again. One form of therapy many people forget about is human touch. The power of touch is something that I've discussed with those on my personal care team. Sue Ebert, my friend and hairdresser, noted that this is an extremely special part of her line of work. 
actually touching her clients fosters a rare spiritual connection and trust between them. It's healing to trust and be trusted. It's human connection. Dr. Marianne Lay, whom you've heard from very recently, knows well the power of touch, whether it be in the form of somatic touch healing or muscle response testing. Delicate, intentional touch is powerful. And with all the new forms of therapists since August 5th, 2015, who had entered our lives to work on Archer, respiratory therapists, physical therapists, occupational therapists, massage therapists, licensed clinical social worker therapists, PTs, MTs, RTs, OTs. Well, one of our best forms of therapy was what Archer and I like to call C2CT. <laughs> That's cheek-to-cheek therapy. It's sweet. Yep, it was something that we would intentionally practice while Archer was in the hospital bed and in the rehab room at the Shepherd Center. Side by side, touching cheeks is tender, comforting, and restorative beyond belief. I'll talk more about this in later episodes as well as share with you the touching story of how C2CT came about. No pun intended. In today's episode, you will also hear about a different sort of therapy, what I call awareness therapy, A-T as another stark reality was dawning on me in a way that unsettled me, even horrified me. My own views and biases I had held unconsciously about disability. As we journey together today on the story, you will be with me both on airplane rides and being back at Shepherd. Welcome to Season 3, Episode 14, How Disability Shifts Perspective. So settle in, take in a deep breath, open your heart for new understandings that may touch your life too. Here we go. Day 43. As my taxi and I pulled up to the departures at the Baltimore-Washington International Airport, I stepped out, and all I had was myself, my driver's license and credit card in my pocket, a hanging suit on a hanger, and one large white gift box. (laughs) That box made me smile, and you might wonder what was in it. 
Well, I didn't get a chance to tell you about it yet. It was the last box I opened at my office earlier that day. And what was in it truly took my breath away. There was a handwritten note that read, Dear Louise, I don't know if you remember me, but I took your mediation training courses years ago, and you taught me everything I practice as a transformative mediator. I've been following your posts about your son, and while I am an atheist and do not believe as you do, I still want to join and support you in some way. I do not pray as you do, but I knit a blanket for you, and I guess you could say that every stitch carried my form of prayer for you and Archer. I have chosen the colors of the yarn, blue for the water you love and the ocean where Archer was injured, and tan for the infinite sand that he rested on after being pulled from the ocean. The blue is also for your love of Mary. I looked for the softest yarns I could find as I wanted you to feel wrapped in comfort and love and to be warm as I know Archer's room is so cold. I hope it brings you peace and you use it with my admiration and affection. Judy Shub Condliff, practicing mediator attorney. I was blown away. Of course I remembered Judy. She was a tough lawyer with a sort of gruff exterior and a very warm and tender heart. Oh, she had left an impression on me years ago. I want to tell you what was so extraordinary about the blanket. Besides the fact that it was about eight feet long and three feet wide and could cover my entire body as I held it up, the blanket was the softest Angora yarn and the pattern alternated with bands of color with varying widths of blue and tan and white. The inside of each band in a contrasting color was carefully knitted a row of hearts in one band. And in a wider band, the letters A, R, C, H, E, R, S, T, R, O, N, G. Archer Strong. It was an extraordinary piece of handcrafted art. And as I looked closer, she had knit in the band of white, in the same color white, an unmistakable cross. That took my breath away. An atheist doing that for me. I felt so deeply acknowledged and connected to Judy. 
many years later, Judy Condliffe came to my office unannounced with a surprise visit. And here's an excerpt from a brief and spontaneous interview we had about her heartwarming, personalized kindness. When you knit something for someone, every single stitch, the person or the people are in your mind and you know it's going to give to them. It's such a pleasure knitting for people. Just wonderful. Particularly, it was such a pleasure in this. And when I thought I had never done letters before and I'd never done shapes before and that blanket had hearts and it said Archer Strong. So that was the first time I had written anything in knitting. So it was just very, very exciting and very moving to me to have been able to do that. It was moving to me because in addition to the Archer Strong and the hearts, you put into that blanket crosses because you knew they would mean something to me. Oh yes, absolutely. Yes, I did. It was really yeah. remarkable because yeah. your note had said, I, at I'm, the not time, religious. I'm not religious. I don't believe you do, mm -hmm. but here it was that yeah. you made that for me. Absolutely. Absolutely. Because it doesn't matter what I believe is what the person that you're, that, that you're dealing with, what they believe and supporting that and saying, I support and treasure that in you. And I do. I envy it in you also. I wish I could. And it's, I was raised in a way that it's not there. As much as I have asked and wanted it, it just simply isn't. And my family was incredibly moral and incredibly committed and you did incredible good stuff, good works, just not faith-based, yeah. you know, just from people-based, what good people do. Yes. Soul to soul based. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yes, and that's what you, you modeled for me. Yeah with differences of views on religion or on God, as mm -hmm. you shared with me yeah. that you didn't believe yeah. in God. And yeah. we were still connected. Yeah. Absolutely. And I'm still moved by, by your faith and by your reliance and your prayers to Mary. They get to me. They get to me. Well, that's because she's with all of us. Yes. I know. Years ago, when I was in Italy, when I was 25, went to the Vatican and saw the Pietà. But then we also went to, I'm not sure whether it was Florence or, or, um, uh, or Venice. I forget where the, there's another one that Michelangelo did. It is not at all complete. You don't have Mary's face. There's so much that's incomplete. And yet it actually moved me far more to tears because in that stone, you see what's going to be. And it's just, it, it's more powerful than the completed one. Yes. You, you see because you can, them, like, and the grief and the love and the, all of it in her dead son. Yes. It's just, it's, that is the most incredible sculpture I have the unfinished Pieta. Mm -hmm. Judy, I am still in awe of this beautiful gift. 
and your kind-natured thoughtfulness. What a blessing handmade things are to give and receive. It's inspirational. And no matter your faith or anyone's, we are all connected. We are a relational community. I love how Judy reminds us how someone can connect to another person's faith even without believing it exactly the same way. The raw beauty of Michelangelo's Pieta can touch anyone. You might want to Google it. This is one of those moments where I am able to look back reminisce, and feel renewed in my podcasting experience. Yes, this podcast is an occasionally informational endeavor with my trauma healing learnings and Ask Louise conversations. All good. But it's also a love letter to all of the incredible friends and people who helped our SEMT family through grief and loss and profound change. As I boarded the airplane, I draped the hand-knitted blanket over me the entire way and felt the very comfort and love Judy had put into those stitches. And I believed Archer was feeling the lift of her prayers in those stitches, too. I imagined the clicking of Judy's knitting needles, and I decided I would wear that blanket wherever I had to fly away from Archer's side until he recovered. As I glanced down at my phone as we neared the takeoff, I also had many text messages. Louise, you are always in our thoughts and prayers. We are so sorry this happened. If there is a silver lining, it is the fact that now you know how much the community loves you and your family, and only goodness and kindness is all around you. That was from the CEO of Deli Brands and Savile Foods, Paul Savile, a client and friend. This one from Suzanne Rossi, a women's field hockey coach in Baltimore and a friend. Louise, I love you and your huge heart. We truly do think so much alike. I read and laugh and I smile and I cry and then I pray. We all know that God has his plan and only his plan matters. God is good, so very good. Your strength is your amazing gift from God. You have made strong many, many mothers through this journey. I thank God for Archer, every prayer, because Archer has made us strong and faithful and reminded us all what love is. 
Thank you, my friend. And know we love you. God is good. For some crazy reason, other than my Catholic friends, I really had little idea of most of my other friends' views of God. I usually knew if my friends were Jewish or Buddhist or those who would say that they were nothing. But the vast majority of my friends believed in something, a thought, but I was not sure until I would get their texts, like that one from Suzanne. It was very connecting, a belief in God that seemed to hold us all together made me feel closer, more connected, more relational. I was also buoyed by what others were texting me that they were doing for us. My sister, Elizabeth Sanborn in Maryland, was introducing me to the father of a boy who was also spinal cord injured and brain injured. The dad had rehabbed his house and was willing to show me for ideas about Archer, since my sister knew that was pressing on me. And how would we do that to our over 100-year-old house? I had not really thought about these details as I had been focused on convincing Billy not to sell our house. It was all still weighing heavily on my mind. My sorority sister in Richmond, Virginia, Rose Dare, texted me, Hi, dear Louise. Just wanted you to know that nine or ten Richmond Delta Chi Thetas are gathering tonight, in an hour actually, to brainstorm about how we might help you and Archer and the rest of the family. Just wanted you to know that my UVA Theta sisters were gathering on our behalf lifted me in a way that was like seeing something awesome. I remember it took my breath away that they would do that. I have since learned in my own trauma healing journey that I had a long way to go to learn how to fully receive. Maybe you have trouble with that, too. But it was really just old blocks from my past thinking that I had to always be so strong and in charge. Because there were years in my growing up where it must have felt to me like a little girl that no one was in charge. I have digested much of that now. And I also befriend that part of my past as important information that gave me another opportunity to witness myself and make peace to integrate it all as part of my little girl self doing the best she could then and still now, even with some remnants of that still lingering. But always learning and hopefully always expanding and deepening so that whatever those blocks are, 
are not passed along to the next generation of my lineage. I also had many text messages that asked, are you all right? We haven't heard anything. Well, there were a few others who told me, Louise, we are anxiously awaiting an Archer update. <laughs> yes, I know. I owed all of our prayer warriors an update. So as I flew back to Atlanta, I settled in and began writing to you on my phone per usual. I finished it that night back at Shepherd in the blue light of the monitors back at Archer's side, which gave me a strange comfort of being home too as I was with him again. September 16th, day 43, day 14 at Shepherd. Family and friends update, Wednesday. I have been in Baltimore for two days. I will tell you about the last two days another time. Oh, before I continue with the update, you know that the last two episodes Going Home Part 1 and Going Home Part 2 were devoted to telling you about those days now since I never did get back to them in the Archer blogs. There was no time back then as we just kept looking forward with one step in front of the other. But I do want to share one more thing with you now about the actual flight to depart Baltimore. You've already heard about my transformative visits to members of my personal healing circle, as well as how those trips helped me restore my energy so that I was able to take better care of both myself and Archer during this long journey. But there was something else. As I rode in the taxi on my way to the airport, we passed a man on the corner, begging on the streets in downtown Baltimore. He was in an old, rickety wheelchair. In my before Archer's injury life, I would have likely stopped to acknowledge his humanity in some way because I'd been raised to do that as the right thing to do as outreach is very much a part of Catholic upbringing. But in truth, even as I offered him a smile, a kind word, or a dollar, I would have felt a certain pity for a dirty man in soiled clothes in a wheelchair. And that pity would have me hold back a certain something of myself. But I was rocked to my core to see that man this time. I was flooded with a feeling, I don't know quite how to put it, but it was a feeling of kinship. <laughs> 
camaraderie, brotherhood. I saw that man as so courageous. Maybe it's just that I really saw that man. I had no idea what his life was like. But I realized I was undergoing a new kind of transformation I had never imagined. I was always aware of a fleeting sense of wanting to get away when I would see someone in a wheelchair, someone profoundly disabled. I was ashamed of that. And that nanosecond flicker of memory and what was it? Repulsion? I felt when Archer's ambulance pulled up to the Shepherd Center and there were all those people in wheelchairs just lingering, not moving really, waiting to be picked up, and it almost felt like an affront to my dream of being a shepherd, like a certain horror, like the Highlights magazine, what doesn't belong in this picture? Well, I felt that shudder of pushing away, wanting to get away from it. But it was passing through me in a new way, a curious way, a connected way, I am one of you now. I don't want to be one of you, but I am. We are connected now. Maybe I always was one of you. And maybe you always were one of me. We are connected now. I was coming to many new realizations about my previous ways of thinking about disability and those around me. That was as much of the new dawning as was the reality of our lives. All of our lives, really. Maybe this provides something for you to ponder as well in your life, your frame of mind, your attitude, and how one worldview you didn't even fully know you had can be cracked open so widely. And I imagine it goes in both directions. It was ironic. (laughs) Or is anything really ironic, you know? 
but I had another text awaiting me as I got settled into my seat on the airplane from a mom at Archer School who texted. My fourth grade teacher, Mrs. Stroud, always said, attitude is the paintbrush to life as it can color any situation. I love that and kept it in a journal note, noting, quote, I am aware of new attitudes I want to paint my life with. Maybe you too have had these awarenesses in your life. Here is the continued writing to my family and friends. What's on my mind now is that I remember the countless times over the last 25 years that I have counted my blessings. I have literally pinched myself saying how lucky I am. Five healthy, kind, smart, wonderful children, a good man for my husband, a good home that nurtures our souls, and meaningful work. It's the whole package, and I've known it for years. I've tried not to take it for granted, ever. And I have thanked God, I'd like to say every day in our conversations. But I have forgotten this wealth of blessings at certain times, and that is what drove me years ago to daily Mass. I was plain old scared and knew we had so much abundance, and I begged God to strengthen me and to never let me waver in remembering His goodness. So my relationship with God has been one where I didn't rely on him enough. And that's when I would stumble. I wasn't fully open to the grace that was always mine, just for the asking, as it is for everyone. As I reflect now about grace, and faith. I remember so crisply, as if it were yesterday, that beginning with each of my pregnancies, my faith would waver again. And I'd wonder to myself, is this it, Lord? Is this the time where the other shoe will drop? I would have these non-believer-like flashes of dread and fear, and I adored being pregnant. But I can hear those very words in my head I was saying in my then conversations with God. Life is good, Lord. You've provided us so much. I love you. But will this child be the shoe that drops? I don't know where that expression ever came from, but I have heard it in my head with each precious life I carried. 
And in those dark flashes, I would think about spina bifida, as that is in my family's profile, birth injury, causing mental and physical disability, as that is in Billy's family profile, as well as a child missing fingers and toes or being physically malformed in some way. Or as we continued having babies, as I entered my 40s, I would entertain thoughts of Down syndrome. It was a real crack in my faith, and I knew it. I knew I would love whatever baby God gave us. I could never have imagined otherwise. But these thoughts were based in terrifying fear. I so loved being pregnant, I really did. The gift of carrying life in my womb would have me marveling each day of each pregnancy. (laughs) I put on about 50 pounds with each one, too, so there was a lot to marvel at. But of my professional friends, those whom I wouldn't see regularly but year to year at conferences, they would often say they had never known me when I wasn't pregnant. I would try to take good care of myself, refrain from vices, (laughs) as well as some pleasures swim, and eat well. I would watch my legs become larger, and not so much from swelling, but just from the miracle of nature and how she was preparing my smaller frame to make it very sturdy to carry the weight of the growing baby. I watched my body closely, and I read a lot about human development. I would pray to accept whatever child I was blessed to have. I prayed that prayer fervently. I recall there was a day when I realized my pregnancy prayer of dear God and most blessed mother, please give us a healthy baby, had changed to dear God and blessed mother. Please give me the faith to accept whatever child we have. I was always relieved though when each of my babies was born perfect. Perfect in every way. Thank you God for all the babies born perfect in every way, every day, all over the world. Every baby is perfect, no matter what malformities they might have. They are such a blessing. We cannot take them for granted. Hopefully, we never do. And yet I would have these twinges of worry with every pregnancy. I grew up hearing an expression my mom was fond of saying, God only gives you what you can handle. It always resonated for me. I'm sure I internalized that message, and I believe it to this day. That simple phrase would comfort me when I remembered it. 
And no matter what came our way as a family, it was true. Or we made it true by believing it true. And I imagine my own children have internalized that phrase too because they've heard it and lived it in our family with trials from time to time, like all families. Faith, or a belief in God's benevolence and vulnerability and forgiveness, is such a special comfort for all of those who are lucky enough to have it or to have been introduced to it. I think the gift of faith in God, the ability to rely on something much more grand and loving than you are, is one of the greatest gifts a parent can give a child. I'm grateful to my mom and grandmom and the nuns at my elementary school and high school. Maybe you have people in your life who told you about God too when you were young to whom you are grateful. We need to cherish those initial teachings and we need to understand them I also think that as we mature into adults, we need to understand those teachings not as we did as children, but as we can understand more deeply as adults. I think if we cling only to a child's view of God, we might remain stunted and can actually create suffering and separation from other people. But we don't need to discard all childish learnings, we can hold on to the childlike wondering and lean in to the comforting mystery that a faith in God can bring in our lives, as it does to many children. But even those adults who no longer practice their religion in any formal way, can find comfort in phrases like, in God's time, or whatever is meant to be, will be, when it is said with a belief in a higher wisdom and greater love. I think it is similar for the phrase, everything happens for a reason, or the phrase, nothing is by accident. I have pondered these phrases for a long time. I don't think we need to know the why, or at least need to be consumed with searching for why. It might cause us more suffering if we do. What we might wonder about instead and ask ourselves is how has whatever happened or not happened shaped my life? It's all part of the mysterious alchemy of our free will and life's plan. 
I wonder what you think about that. And that is where God comes in again. Believing in something larger and all-loving for each of us. Something so benevolent and personal to each of us allows us to let go of the tight control we grasp for and to melt the separation, the walls we put up between ourselves and others. That letting go, that melting, that is what our relationship with God allows us every minute of every day when we're aware. That relationship also reminds us that we are not victims of life's seemingly random, heart-wrenching tragedies. Yes, we will do the work to make sense of them over time. But that work is the human experience when we have to thaw out from our frozenness or our tightness and use the new energy of that unthawing for something good. Something that draws us into closer relationship with the source of all that is creative and loving. So no matter what happens in our lives, we can return to the feeling of wholeness, that we have everything we need, and we can each shine light into the world a hundred million different ways. So it's true that we can handle whatever comes our way. When we have that kind of faith and believe in something much larger, than our small human experience. Back to the family and friends update. That said, I've always had my heart torn when I would see other parents who had children with so many challenging physical needs. I knew they were still perfect children They just had malformations or parts that didn't work. It was hard for me to look at them too long. Embarrassed I'd become. Even feeling ashamed to be around for too long because we were so darn fortunate with health and athletic ability and good minds, etc. It wasn't pity I felt. It was something else. Each time I would see such a family, which frankly was not all that often, which is also why I think entering the Shepherd Center was so jarring. So now you know I'm really not a nice person to have had those thoughts, and I've had them before. But not feelings of being afraid, as I was when we were hustled out of the medevac transport at our first glimpse of Shepherd but rather 
feelings of being ashamed. (sighs) I digressed. So each time when I would see those parents and their child at, say, the state fair or in the mall or at the airport, I would feel self-conscious. And then I would move swiftly into rationalization because the identification was just too raw. And I would have one of two threads of thought running around in my head. One was, thank you, Lord. I know I have amazing children because you really do want me to mediate and help others. You really do want me to be in the world working because I wouldn't be able to if I had a child of special needs. That's so shallow, but I have felt it many times over the years. I was finding over the years that my work was a real vocation for me, a ministry of sorts, and I was good at it. And I was very aware that God works through all of us and worked through me to be present for my clients facing difficult decision-making. And I was not afraid of their pain or their anger and their complexity. I could be present and help them stay sustained to allow the conflict to unfold and make sense out of it in a proactive but at their pace kind of way. I've been really clear about that and I know God has given me that gift. That was a role that grew over time into the ministry I feel it is kind of thread of thought that I found satisfying, albeit perhaps pacifying me at times when I have balanced on the balance beam as a working mother. But it wasn't just at seeing a family with a special needs child that I would feel this. When my workers required long hours into the night drafting contracts and designing trainings and began to take me to many places, some even exotic, the tug of motherhood was always there. And the narcotization of my rationale was comforting. I was, I'd say to myself, doing good in the world. And my doing good in the world is good for my family and good for my children. It's always been a balancing act. And it's often not balanced. But it does have two parts that make a whole. It's always been a necessary and regular discernment of mine to see clearly which work opportunities to accept and which to turn down or not pursue at all. That balancing act has been a daily one for over two decades for me as a mother and at Baltimore Mediation. 
and Billy has been a huge reason why I could find my way in both worlds, in my home and outside, on that beam that was actually quite sturdy, but required a never looking down quality so as not to fall off. But that other thread of my thoughts, when I would see a parent pushing a child in a wheelchair or walking with a child struggling in walking braces was, God, I know why you have given me healthy, beautiful children. I am not as strong as those women to care for a child with a special need. I am too weak to do that. I honestly have had those thoughts from time to time. I wonder now about God's time. Was I experiencing over the years a glimpse into a different time in my life that I had already lived or would live but in a different dimension than the one I was in? Or were they the Holy Spirit whispering to me to pay attention? Or were they thoughts just preparing me for now? I think about these things. It's not always easy to be honest and to share such raw, real thoughts like these. And they were thoughts I wasn't necessarily proud of. But I was learning and pondering and becoming more aware. I was searching within myself to understand how I would adapt and what barriers I needed to remove. I also wondered how Archer would adapt. And I so wished he could talk to someone anyone who understood what he was experiencing, whatever it was. We had had an extraordinary phone call from Charles Krautheimer, the brilliant writer, commentary columnist, who was reading the updates too, his office said. He also lived with quadriplegia. I couldn't believe that call, and I was asked to keep it private. I so wanted Archer to speak with him or to listen in, as he really didn't have a voice yet. But I could interpret for him. But Archer was not interested. I reminded myself, all things in God's time. As much as I thought the shared experience would be so powerful and could be so comforting and so hopeful for Archer, as Charles Krautheimer was an extraordinary man, Archer wasn't interested. Maybe he was depressed, but I wondered how long it would be 
before Archer allowed himself that connecting comfort. I wondered if it would ever come. But I rationalized to myself that Archer was just not ready. It never occurred to me it might be his own views about disability. I didn't know. I found this personal note in my phone. I think a lot of people are reading the updates. I hear from many of them. It's funny because so many of their letters begin, Dear Louise, or Dear Mrs. Semt, you don't know me, but <laughs> I am moved by these letters. I am moved by their stories, which are all very personal, as they share their hardships, too. I decided to include every one of them in my daily prayers with specificity now that I am learning who they are. We are all in this life together. While I ask everyone reading the updates to pray for Archer in a particular way, and maybe they will, maybe they won't, I know in my heart and believe with all my being that if we collectively put our minds and thoughts and hearts together in unison on one specific prayer and intention, we can move mountains, including moving the parts of Archer's paralyzed body that don't work, including clearing out the debris in his lungs. I know it's possible through collective prayer. I think often of the work of the scientist Masuru Emoto. I wish I could talk with him. While I was seeking to understand Archer's experience and have empathy for what he was feeling if he didn't want to be associated with or talk with others who were disabled or if he just wasn't ready, I was beginning to feel as though I was understanding another experience that I had pondered throughout the years. I found another personal journal note in my phone at this day in the story on this very subject. I feel a thought forming more in my body than in my head, that you can't truly understand the experience of having a child with special needs until you've lived some version of it yourself. Oh, you can have empathy, not sympathy, not pity, empathy, walking in the shoes of another as a heartfelt attempt to experience someone else's difficult life. And that can be a blessing for both of you. It's about as close as we can get as humans to understanding each other. I think I've counted my blessings as a mother out of fear 
that I didn't have to face the struggles parents of disabled children face. I feel my fear melting somewhat about disability. I can't explain it just yet, but something is happening to me and I feel it in my body. I didn't know it long ago, and I didn't know it back then, but I would someday have more than empathy for this particular experience and deep love and gratitude for my child, my child as disabled. And it has been something that carries me steadfast through it all. When I arrived back at Shepherd, Billy and I met in the conference room so he could debrief me about the last two days. In our nightly phone calls at Shepherd before that, I would sit in the conference room with papers strewn out all around me, all the different piles, as Billy and I would discuss whichever was most pressing that day, that night, as it was hard to discern sometimes when everything was pressing and Archer's health status was constantly changing. It was no different this time, but it was Billy who had set up shop while I was away and had a number of things we had to go through from his end. Maybe I'll tell you someday what we did to try to stay connected during these times. Because I'll tell you, the tension between us was growing and not because we didn't love each other. But there was no time to feel any ease as everything was pressing. Everything took a lot of time and attention to take care of, like the major insurance claims and appeals we were having to stay in front of as well so that we wouldn't get crushed. Billy and I also had to talk about the other kids and Dewey's college transfer. And there was the inquiry and asking for a second opinion about Archer's vocal cords, as no one could explain why Archer couldn't talk. Or better said, the surgeon at Piedmont Hospital told us while he was doing the sinus surgery that he could see that Archer's vocal cords were severed but no one knew how or why, and we were inquiring as to whether that would be permanent. And I continued asking, did anyone know how that happened? The nose packing was coming out, and they said Archer would be transferred out of the ICU and would be able to resume physical therapy in a day, and I wanted to be there for that transition. But I was back by Archer's side, able to assess him for myself, see him, talk to or with him, have him blink or try to whisper and tell him about all the good things in Baltimore and all the love sent his way. I'd also brought back some probiotics. I asked the staff if we could crush into his JPEG feeding tube.
Billy and I had planned for me to fly out from Shepherd again to Disney World, where the Go for the Greens group of executive women were having their annual conference. I was to deliver the keynote address I had also been working on writing for a while. Billy and I had a lot to do in a few hours that early evening before I would leave again late that night with plans to return the next afternoon to Shepherd, when Billy would then head home to Dutch and I would be back bedside with Archer. In essence, everything in a little over 48 hours. <sighs> I wasn't sure I could deliver that motivational speech as I didn't trust my mind wandering back to Archer at Shepherd and my voice cracking in the microphone. But I knew I had to go. I was good at compartmentalizing when I needed to and hoped that would kick in and I would not fall apart. I found this personal journal note in my phone. Billy told me to go, that it would be good for our book. He is crushed that all our work has been dashed by the timing of Archer's accident. He had high hopes and counted on me to be out in the public. I don't want to let him down. I don't know if it's what I actually want to do now, though. I still had not yet posted the family and friends update I had started on the plane back from Baltimore. Here's the rest of it now. And so here I am. I am at Shepherd, and now I'm at the airport, headed to Florida for a keynote talk my team did not cancel as we believed that by this time, I would be able to be with Archer and work too. I've just been so naive about so many things. In both worlds, wondering if the balance beam is sturdy. What we're finding is that it's a really crazy existence. It's like Alice in Wonderland. There are very few plans we make that do not shift it's not even the one day at a time view. It's really one hour at a time. I notice how few people at the airport are in wheelchairs, really. And of those couple of folks I've seen, they have use of their arms and hands and possibly even their feet as they clutch their pocketbooks or canes tightly and an attendant wheels them through the crowds. Lord, what will it be like? What is it like for a quadriplegic? I mean, while we wait for a creative miracle, we will live in the world we have. Where in the plane does the large motorized wheelchair go? For any quad, they must be given the ability to do weight shifts every 30 minutes. How does that happen on a plane? 
Maybe it doesn't. Maybe it's why I don't see too many people in wheelchairs. And I could understand that. All the ADA and accommodations cases I've mediated over the years, it's hard to accommodate everyone. But I wonder, I wonder about so many things I've not contemplated so heavily before. The airport feels familiar, though, with its hustle bustle, the line, security passes, and seat assignments. I'm grateful to be here, actually. I don't feel fragile anymore. I feel observant. I think that's it. And I feel solid. I don't feel rushed. I'm noticing that I feel okay. And that makes me happy. I've really felt so very tired the last couple or so days. I'm not yet able to sleep more than five hours, which Billy might tease me and say I've never slept more than five hours in my life, which is mostly true. But that was out of choice and feeling the flow of the night quietude to work. But now, back in Baltimore for two days to see Dutch and check in with my office and clients, I found upon waking both yesterday and this morning that I was very, very tired and not sure which bedroom I was in. I looked for the monitors and for Archer. Then I scrambled to think, am I in the apartment? And then realizing, oh, I'm in Baltimore. This is our Baltimore bed. And I have another flight today to Florida. I need to awaken Dutch. I need to pack his lunch. I need to get up. Here I am, in my airplane seat now, in the window seat like I like, about two-thirds of the way back in the plane, because it's very full with many families headed to Disney. There's an unhappy young child crying in the back of the plane. You can feel the tension of the passengers, and I can only imagine the anxiety of the mama. The child is now screaming full out. It's getting really loud. Actually, it's uncontrollable. I can tell by his pitch it's getting worse. Mm, His inconsolable wailing is pierced by his helpless screams. He's very unhappy. I can't see the child, but I can picture them back there, maybe six rows, with mom thinking they were safe in the back. I can hear her say to those around her, I'm so sorry. He's normally not like this. I'm so sorry. Oh, mama, I know your anxiety. It is not necessary at all to apologize. 
I say to myself. Of course we know he's a good boy. Of course we know you're a good mama. As I imagine, that was what she wanted us to know. The child is pretty wound up now. You know that kind of wound up way that happens to young children where it's very hard to calm them down because the diaphragm keeps heaving up and down. I can picture it in my mind. It's painful. The larger, pale-skinned man next to me on the aisle in my row, attempting to engage and perhaps trying to bring some relief to this almost insufferable atmosphere, says to me, probably being poked and tortured by his siblings. I think, maybe, maybe not. I smiled at him and said, perhaps so, but I'm just thinking, and I remember a time or two when I was in the same boat as she. What I thought, but did not share, was my gratitude for not giving up on nursing each of our children for a couple of years each. And so I could take my young child who was screaming on an airplane and hold him close and discreetly, put him right on my bosom like a pacifier, where he felt nurtured and warm and could self-regulate in moments. I also recalled my big kids with my younger ones. I couldn't imagine a time when any of them poked or ridiculed each other if one of them was in distress. I offered to my passenger friend, you know, maybe his siblings, he had imagined the boy had some, feel distressed too by their brothers crying and are back there trying to console him. The man looked right at me and incredulously, but also teasingly said, that would sure be a better world then, wouldn't it? I imagined he may have been a younger sibling poked. A couple more minutes passed. Then the most remarkable thing happened. He engaged me again and said, you know, I just thought of a time my older brother did something real nice for me when I was a kid. It was real nice. I had forgotten. I just looked at him and smiled. Isn't that beautiful? He remembered. I said to him, That's really beautiful that you remembered. Maybe you can tell him. It's extraordinary to me how many good and even tender experiences of life are just under the surface and can be experienced again when we just allow some oxygen in to let those experiences breathe again and emerge and we can remember them. We all bring the filters of our wounded lives to our knee-jerk views of others' experiences, don't we? It's a human thing. The brain does it, trying to protect us. 
It can be so easy to adopt a negative worldview of others based on our own past unresolved hurts and emotional scars. I mean, we've all had our own flavor of trauma. Perhaps for you, you too have memories of a sibling incessantly poking you and aggravating you without intervention, without a parent to stop the harmful activity and explain to the poker that it's hurtful. And would they want to be poked like that? It's not what we want to do to each other. But perhaps you were in a situation or two or three as a young child and there was no adult around to take care of you. You do feel separated. Or perhaps there was an adult there who even loved you, but was someone who didn't have the capacity to calm and reassure you. Take a breath. While it's hard, it is possible to self-soothe now in a way that recalls a painful situation and reworks it where you can create that caring adult caring for your inner child. Sometimes it is just a shift of attention that can settle the body, and that is all that is needed to feel reconnected. And when we shift and settle, so many unexpected and beautiful things can emerge because there is now the more expansive space to allow in other memories tender memories that are there all along as well. Breathwork has been around for longer than many of us may be able to even comprehend. There's got to be something to it, right? (laughs) I know there is. Try it. Go ahead. Think of something painful that separated you from someone. And now, think of something meaningful to you that felt reconnecting, restorative. Take a deep breath in and a deep breath out. I invite you to do this at the beginning of every episode with me. Maybe you're listening in can become your time of solace, awareness, and self-regulating. Here we go, back to the story. I was really focused on sending calming thoughts to that mama and son. Take a breath, mama and breathe it through. I sent that to her and to whoever else might be with them or sitting nearby. I was hatching a plan that if the child did not calm down, I was going to stand up and ask everyone to pause a moment and send calming energy to that family. I actually imagined everyone with their arms stretched out like a blessing. I actually did that one time in a church in Ohio on one of my trips after a man had keeled over with a heart attack 
(laughs) That's a story for another day. The child calmed down. It was just a matter of time. We are getting closer to the time to take off. There was just an announcement from the front of the plane asking if anyone on the plane would be willing to give up their seat for a mother and child so they could sit together. How simple is that? There was an empty seat between my passenger new friend and me. I raised my hand. Easy peasy. The attendant said thank you and people started moving around. I looked to see who was coming down the aisle as I began to gather all the stuff I had jammed under the seat. It was not a family getting on up front. It was somebody in the back. They each worked their way out of their row and into the aisle. It was a mother and a young child. I was surprised. I looked and knew it was they, the pair, the mother and son. She was a lovely, younger, Indian-looking woman with jewels in her nose and ears. Her face was taut, haggard. Her young, Indian-looking child's cocoa-skinned face was stained with tears. And she said, thank you, thank you, over and over to me as I got out of my row. It was nothing, really. I mean, really, it was so easy. But I got it. They must have been separated. Now I understood his grief. I'm telling you, it's that connection, isn't it? We are all really connected. And I'm thinking of that gooey nose falling apart little boy and then renewed again little boy when he was reconnected with his mother. I really felt that same desperate separation in the most primitive way. It was like I was lost. More on that later, as there are aspects of trauma I had no idea had happened to me in the shock of that painful but courageous phone call from Davis at the beach club. Here is some of the more on that phone call that I wasn't able to put into words at the time. As you might know from season one, when I received the call, I was in the car on my way back to Baltimore from Cape May. I was alone. I had been rerouted because of construction on a travel route foreign to me. I was in a rural wooded area where I shouldn't even have had working cell phone service. It's a wonder the call even came through to me. But when it did, I was frantic in an indescribable way. There are some parts of this initial shock that I don't even remember. As I now understand my mind trying to protect me from trauma, thrusting me into survival mode, autopilot. All I knew is that I needed to reach my son. I had 
to find Archer. I had to be with him. My separation from him in his moment of dire need and crisis emergency cut like a knife. This might be a more extreme version of what the mother and baby son on the flight were feeling, but it might not be any different. There is a desperate need to be connected, united, reunited, that is thwarted in the moment when the body is thrown into a hyper-alert state, when emotions run high or get frozen in numbness when the unimaginable is taking place. It can be an out-of-body experience, out of self-protection. Yet the intense need to be with your child can cause physical pain. I was lost in that moment in more ways than one. I was reeling struggling to understand the gravity of what had happened as I fought to find my way to Atlantic City. To experience a baby crying, separated from his or her mother, unconsolably, will be a feeling I will understand on a deeper, more primitive level as well. The trauma experience calls all of us to integration, to self-regulation and co-regulation for each other, to be neither victims nor victimizers, as we wrote in Being Relational. I feel hopeful about what is happening now with a new movement emerging for trauma healing. I am glad you and I are part of that movement. Back to the family and friends update. And it has taken me weeks to get my arms around the gravity of Archer's injury. We're about to take off and I've had to put my phone on airplane mode, so I'll have to send this to you later. I'm smiling because now I know another reason why I continue to use my phone and right index finger to type out what I want to share with you. This little phone serves the purpose for now. It's a tiny screen of light, can be put on silence, which is my preferred way anyway, and thus doesn't disturb Archer in the night. And I just realized I can continue even on the airplane when all other electronics must be turned off. I do laugh at myself though with my one finger method and my very large font because it's too hard to scroll back to find something I already said and I probably have some typos too. Thank you for just being with me. For all the prayer warriors who need reading glasses as I do, I know you are smiling with me for what we do to be able to read. 
I highly recommend the large font, actually, for texting. Ask your kids to do it for you on your phones if you're not sure how. My kids show me all the time cool things I can do with my phone. Like this emoji, red heart, and other fun emojis I use all the time. <laughs> for fun, I did Archer Strong using emojis. It's kind of fun because Archer is such an amazing artist in design. The way he likes to put himself together, I mean, his clothes, his architectural aesthetic sense, his lacrosse and basketball moves, drawing, painting, food. He loves presentation. So I kind of like that emoji artist paint palette for the AR and, of course, the plus sign. Then... C-H-E-R and Cher being French for precious one, if I recall my high school French class. And then the emoji arm muscle for strong. Archer strong. <laughs> I'm just amusing myself on the plane. The flight attendant came down the aisle to take our drink orders. I like the unsweetened iced tea which is not in the airplane drink selections. So for years, my pattern when I fly is to try to have enough time to buy an iced tea with a lot of ice and lemon. Keep the cup with ice as I board the plane and then order a hot tea black to use as a refill over the remaining ice. It works okay. The attendant brought our drinks and I asked her, if it's not too much trouble after you serve everyone else, I'd love a cup of ice so I can make iced tea. She nodded as she was reaching to pass a full glass of ginger ale to another passenger. I've asked many times over the years for that cup of ice, and I've even been told, if I ask for it when ordering the hot tea, that it's considered a second drink, and so they'll return later. So I know now to just wait and I'm used to it being forgotten. It's no biggie, really. My tea steeped to very dark. I poured it over the remaining ice in my cup, which melted on impact. She returned with a cup of ice, which kind of surprised me. Why, thank you so very much for remembering, I said to her. I really appreciate that and I really meant it. I know you have a lot to do, I said. She smiled and handed me the cup of ice, which I poured into my large wax paper cup. I turned to the lady passenger to my left, now that I was sitting in the middle seat, and remarked how very kind it was for the attendant to remember. This dark-skinned woman smiled and said, but you were kind too when you gave up your seat for that lady and her boy. <laughs> that surprised me. I imagine it had been almost an hour since then. I shared with her how easy it was to do, really. And then I told her how moved I was by the woman and how she had tears in her eyes. We both smiled and went back to what we were doing before, in my case, writing to you.
Well, the next thing I knew, the attendant came back and reached over to give me not just another cup of ice, but two. I was thrilled, and I dumped them into my cup. Now I truly had iced tea. Oh, it tasted so good. I said to the attendant, you are so kind. And she smiled and said, I really try to be. I believe that. Kindness does take effort. It's not that the effort is hard. I mean, most of the time it's downright easy. But the real difficulty of being kind is not the doing of kindness, but winning the battle with inertia or pride or thinking you don't have time or self-absorption. I know the self-absorption battle well when I'm on task. I can forget to always be kind. I don't like myself when I'm in that mode that can forget to be kind. I'm so happy when I am kind. So go figure. When we lose that inner struggle with ourselves, it's really a triple loss. The other person doesn't benefit, and I miss out on easy joy. So being kind to others is really a way of being kind to yourself. It works that way, like love. It loosens and makes those daily battles winnable. The light-skinned, somewhat tanned passenger to my right on the window just leaned over to apologize to us, but he asked if we would let him out as he needed to head to the bathroom. I felt so cheerful when he asked. I mean, really, I did. I said, no problem. It's the beauty of being human and alive. (laughs) I meant it. That he felt he could ask and not sit in discomfort made me happy that he knew we wouldn't snarl or grumble. That is good. I think of the many times I've been on the window seat, my seat preference. But to sit there, I often make it a point to empty my bladder before boarding, not wanting to bother anyone in my row. I mean, how silly is that? Archer. He makes me see so many things differently now. I was really happy because I realized what a blessing it is to have the awareness and sensation of the need to empty our bladders and our bowels. It's pretty basic, but true. Archer does not have that ability, and he may never. So I felt real delight when the man asked if he could get out to use the bathroom. And when I said, 
it's part of being human? What I should have said is, celebrate your urge to go. (laughs) I can only imagine, had I said that, what may have happened, but it's really the plumb truth. Give thanks that your nervous system sends signals giving you the urge to go to the bathroom. Give thanks that you can choose when and where and that you even experience discomfort when you're too full. That discomfort is a blessing. Your body is working and it's working beautifully even if you feel that urge more often as we get older. I mean, isn't that beautiful and amazing? And the physical relief that we feel that comes when we are emptied of that which no longer serves us, it is all good. The little things we might take for granted or that I took for granted, were somehow becoming celebratory moments in my mind, like breathing without obstruction, the ability to sip my tea from a straw, the awareness of a need to relieve my own bladder. While our minds may forget to savor these gifts of the body, when we do, it can be very uplifting humbling. It might sound funny, but it's so very serious and true. It's the little things I sometimes hear people remark, and they are so right. It feels so good to take in gratitude for what we do have, for what works in our bodies. little things. That includes the muscles in our faces. I mean, science says that smiling, even when you're feeling down, produces happy chemicals in the brain and actually makes you feel better. You may not have needed science to tell you that. Go ahead and experience your feelings fully, even the hard ones, even just a little bit. And then, see what cracking a smile does for your mindset. And if you look into the eyes of someone else and smile, notice what that does for your body and your sense of well-being. Back to the family and friends update. Oh my gosh, the most remarkable thing just happened. I was just tapped on the shoulder by the man sitting behind me. He handed me a large piece of paper and he motioned behind himself with a hitchhiker thumb. I looked back and there they were. You know who, about five or six rows back, waving and smiling at me. That mother and her son. 
Isn't that just beautiful? I mean, how can we go from the depths of despair to sparkling moments of joy just like that? I waved back and turned back around to study the message. It was a torn out page from a cartoon coloring book and read at the top, The Dangerous Dreadhead. (laughs) The Dangerous Dreadhead, that's so funny and so boyish. He had colored this character beautifully with chalk scribbles in and outside the lines, just like any budding artist at three or four years of age. On the page, along the left margin was written in mature handwriting. Thank you so much for giving up your seat. And under that, in a very young child's hand, was his name, the artist's signature. It looked almost like A-M-E-N. Amen? Could that be? Amen. Maybe it wasn't a signature. No, no, of course it was. Every child's coming in to separation and individuation loves to write their name on any and all of their handiwork. I knew it was his name, but I wondered what it was. I wasn't sure, since it appeared he had run out of page, as so often happens when a young writer is trying to fit their name into a limited space. Ah, I turned it over. On the other side was a lion zord spaceship, also scribbled beautifully with pink and lilac and manila chalk. And mom has written, love, Davian, and Amans. Amans. Thank you, mama. Thank you, young artist. The gratitude is all mine. And I know it's yours, too. That's the beauty. Kindness inspires gratitude. And gratitude inspires kindness. And so it goes. But it doesn't just go round and round. It expands. I feel very joyous to receive this precious gift. Isn't it amazing how we feel about each other with the simplest of interactions and acts of kindness? Yesterday was the Jewish New Year's. It's the year 5776, I was told. I am grateful for the prayers of my Jewish friends, clients, and colleagues. One of my friends, Ferrier Stillman, told me she prayed for Archer to be inscribed in the Book of Life. The Book of Life. I love that. She wrote in her text, We eat apples and honey to celebrate the sweetness of life in the new year. I ate mine for Archer, sending abundant love and prayers. I tasted that sweetness with her in my heart.
I also thought of bittersweet. But it's the sweetness that is so hopeful. I am so grateful for hopefulness and for friends and for traditions. I'm now at Disney, the magical kingdom. A reception starts soon. It will be weird, I think. I'm in a different place. Pray for Archer. The separation is painful. Billy is doing a great job. He reports that Archer is still fighting pain, but he was transferred into the rehab unit. That's huge. Billy says the suctions are dreaded but oh, so necessary for life. L'chaim, yes to life. Sending you abundant love and prayers. Pray your favorite prayer today. Be grateful for your body and your bowels and bladder and for precious gifts, the ones that mean so much, for friendship, for love, for faith, for praying together. Be kind. It's really not always that hard. And if it's not easy, give it up today for someone who is in pain. Join me, if you'd like, in my special prayer of the day, which is to the Blessed Mother, that she is by Archer's side giving him encouragement and strength and helping him feel connected and safe and loved. Archer Strong. Amen. Thank you for joining me on my trip that felt more like a spiritual journey that was widening each day with new insights and experiences of human kindness. I was being transformed by the experience of disability, and perhaps you have been as well. Or maybe you are in the process of changing some perspectives of your own. Write me at louise at blinkofaneyepodcast.com and join the discussion on the Blink of an Eye social media accounts listed in the show notes. In our next Blink of an Eye story episode, there is much to look forward to. Many ups and downs are about to shape the Archer story in a very big way. Stay tuned for the authentic, emotional healing journey up ahead. And for now, take another healing inhale and exhale any worries and fears trapped in your diaphragm. Be restored to breathing more freely and feel the connection to your own life, to your breath that gives you that life. You are so very loved. Life can change in the blink of an eye. 
life is so precious. Sending love. Hope for everything. Obtain everything. Love heals trauma. Thank you for tuning in to the Blink of an Eye story. Tune in next week for our companion, Blink of an Eye Trauma Healing Learning 14, Birth Memories for Trauma Healing, with James Raddy, S.J. Thank you for listening, and thank you for telling your friends about the Blink of an Eye podcast. Together, we are raising the vibration for healing. You've been listening to Blink of an Eye. We ask that you share this with anyone who may need inspiration, a lift, or who may relate. Never miss an episode. Listen on our website, blinkofaneyepodcast.com, or subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. This episode is sponsored by Baltimore Mediation. For 28 years, Baltimore Mediation has served clients worldwide by facilitating negotiation breakthroughs, believing in their capacity for meaningful face-to-face dialogue. You can learn more at baltimoremediation.com.